0: Tonight on Arena, director Michael Winterbottom on his new film Shoshana and in TV we look at Alison Jack, The Way and The New Look. 51551 is the text you can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. Inspired by real events, Shoshana is a political thriller set in 1930s Tel Aviv. Thomas Wilkin is played by Douglas Booth. He is a British policeman in Tel Aviv and he's in love with the city and with Shoshana Borokov, played by Irina Starchenbaum. Shoshana is a young Jewish woman with strong political opinions on how Israel should establish itself and grow as a state. Through their relationship... The film explores the way extremism and violence pushes people apart forcing people to choose one side or the other. It's directed by Michael Winterbottom who has previously directed three films that have been nominated for The Palm d'Or at Cannes, seven films that have been nominated for The Golden Bear at Berlin and one that was nominated for The Golden Lion at Venice. His previous TV work includes shows such as The Trip with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon and Family by uh, by Roddy Doyle. Uh, A little bit closer to home, obviously a TV series that comes came to our screens 30 years ago, believe it or not this year. Delighted to be joined by director Michael Winterbottom Now, Michael, this, this period of history that you're t- dealing with in Tel Aviv, in Palestine it's a very interesting point in time that, that this story happens. Maybe you would set up the, the historical context for where we are as the film starts which is very much part of Britain's colonial history
1: It is. It's a part of British colonial history that I think is very important. But I think in Britain, we don't really know that much about it. Certainly, I didn't know that much about it. Mm. Uh, It's a time Britain sort of marched into Jerusalem in in 1917 uh, when they were fighting the Ottoman Empire. And then decided, France and Britain together decided they had the right to carve up the Middle East. And part of that carving up was Britain took Palestine. So Britain was the occupying power there from uh, the second, first world war onwards, and our story starts in th- 1938 and is sort of set in Tel Aviv. Uh, and in some ways, is looking at you know that British role there, but at the heart of it as well, it's a love story. It's a political thriller, as you described. I thought mm-hmm. you described it very well. Uh, but but uh, and you know and and it's, so it's a love story, a kind of police story, a kind of mouse thriller. Uh, but it's also a little bit of a look at what Britain was up to in in uh, in Palestine in those days.
0: How did you strike that balance, Michael? How difficult a balance was it to strike between the, all of those elements? But I suppose in particular, the political aspect of it and the love story, which are kind of <laughs> intertwined in a very complicated way in some ways.
1: Yeah, they are intertwined. I mean, I think in a way that it felt to me that, that, that it's a real story, as you said, a true mm. story. So once you have a story like that, you have to respect it. But I guess what it was attractive about it was that in their relationship, you could see... The, the impact that the, the politics, the political environment had on it, the violence had on it. But Tom Wilkin is chasing someone called Abraham Stern. He, Tom Wilkin is in the police force and, and looking and sort of in, in Tel Aviv and is part of the sort of unit that uh, monitors underground Jewish groups. He's chasing a guy called uh, Abraham Stern, and Stern believed that violence was necessary to create Israel. So Stern sort of, and his followers start a campaign of bombings. Uh, bombing arab markets and places like that and also assassinations of uh, of the british occupying power so basically uh tom, tom was trying to capture stern before stern can kill him and so so in a way inevitably that the, the the stern and his idea about violence you know impacts tom and, and Shoshana's relationship and gradually you know that that violence puts a pressure on their relationship and, and sort of gradually pushes them
0: And I suppose the important aspect of Shoshana's uh, politics here is she comes from a family, um, uh, a socialist family, who, yes, want an Israeli state, but who wanted an Israeli state that encompassed all who were present in Palestine at the time, Arabs and Jews alike.
1: Yes, her father was Bear Borachov, who was a very famous socialist Zionist. And he believed, you know, that Arabs and Jews could live together in Palestine. And most most people in Tel Aviv at the time would be on the left. You know, it was a very egalitarian city. You know, it's, it's a, 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 you know a, women had a very strong role in the city. It was only a tiny minority, really, who were on the right supporting groups, uh, uh, supporting people like Stern. So the mainstream opinion then was very much Shoshana's opinion, which is that there should be a political way of building Israel.
0: Let's listen to a clip um, and taking into account that she had this peaceful mode in her mind. Yes, politically active and very strong in her political opinions. This is a scene um, after a colleague of Wilkins, the Douglas Booth character, a colleague has been killed and Shoshana, uh, Irina Starshenbaum, sympathises with him on that death. But, she doesn't relent on her stance uh, and, and wants, her, wants help in releasing a friend of his who has been taken... A friend of hers, rather, who has been taken in by the British forces.
2: I'm sorry about Schiff. He was a good man. Yes. I've been asked to talk to you about Jesher Bruno. He has children, a wife. He's still being held... They're threatening him with years imprisonment, for what? For being a the Haganah, for wanting to build Israel. We all want to build Israel.
1: I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do.
2: Right, I'm sort of bothered you.
3: I've been thinking about what you said.
1: What you did. You were wrong, we can't be together.
0: I'd do the same thing again. I know. And that's Tom Wilkins there, played by Douglas Booth, and Shoshana, played by Irina Starshenbaum in the film Shoshana. Uh, director Michael Winterbottom with me this evening on Arena. It gives us a sense, Michael, of how much the politics began to impinge on their relationship, but what really struck me about uh, how the relationship develops and, and unfortunately comes to a sad end, it was how how accepting even Shoshana's family were of this British military force in the early parts of the in the early part of the film, but as time went on, you couldn't you couldn't have grey areas in relationships, and you couldn't have grey areas in people. They were either on one side or the other there's no kind of there's no middle ground that's the most
1: frightening aspect of the story exactly i think as the violence escalates you you, you, the intention of that violence is to force you to take sides and i think you know tom is it's it's, Shoshana is like the dominant force of you like she is very strong she knows you know in the end that she wants to build israel and so it's really sort of the sort of tension is whether tom to what extent tom can go along with her and in the re- the real you know case the facts we found you know, people that tom was criticized uh, and uh, the sort of protest to the police department because they thought tom was being too sympathetic towards the Haganah which was the sort of mainstream jewish underground group and so you know and so there was a kind of genuine kind of pressure on them to try and you know force them to to be split apart
0: yeah, the Haganah were essentially the political wing, if you like, whereas the Urgun, which is another group that is constantly mentioned in the film as well, were more the the armed group and they were in favour of of, of a violent approach to it. There is violence and there is quite a lot of violence, um, torture scenes, bombings, killings, shootings on the street, like very violent stuff. How did you approach that, Michael, and, and what way did you want to portray it?
1: Well, the violence is, all the violent incidents are kind of, kind of taken from what actually happened. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously, part of the story is the way in which that that violence impacts people. So, I I mean, it's strange. Some people said it's very brutal and very, you know, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people who said we move away very quickly. I just tried to shoot it as simply as I could. And, you know, there's the violence of, of Stern's followers, which is blowing blowing up people in the market, killing people. There's also, of course, the violence of the British as the occupying force. So we see, we see the British uh, waterboarding a kind of Jewish suspect, which, which uh, apparently happened. So a lot of parallels in a way between Britain as an occupying force in Palestine in the 1930s and America and Britain as an occupying force in Iraq in in this century.
0: But there are, I think, there are specific assassinations that happen within the film where you spoke directly to people involved in that and who could give you, you know, unfortunate to no, who could give you an exact account of what
1: exactly happened on the day. Yeah, we did a lot of research, which was mainly kind of reading first-hand accounts and uh, watching archives. But there were one or two people still, still alive, and one of them was David Shomron. David Shomron was uh, the person who actually was one of the two people who killed Tom Wilkin. This is a bit of a spoiling the story, mm. but never mind. And uh, and uh, so he he used to actually do a sort of guided tour in uh, Jerusalem of where he killed Tom Wilkin and sh- and would show exactly how it happened. And we actually filmed an interview with him before he died, where he talked about he talked about. Uh, his role and, and what he felt about his role in the killing, uh, in in the general fight. I mean, for him, it was just part of the fight to to push out the occupying forces. And the person who authorised the killing uh, was uh, was a character whose nom de guerre was Michael, after Michael Collins, but uh, it was Yitzhak Shamir, who later became Prime Minister of Israel.
0: Interesting that that Michael Collins name is used because it struck me in in, in the way we see some of the violence. It, it reminded me of Neil Jordan's Michael Collins film in the in the nature of the the, the car bombings, and the shootings of policemen on the street in, in that fashion. Um, did, did you see those type of parallels yourself? Or maybe more importantly, did you see parallels with the current situation in that part of the
1: world? Well, I mean, I think the focus was on what for me. The, when you're telling a story, you know, once we once we decide we wanted to, to tell the story of Thomas and you're just trying to tell that as accurately as you can, to mm-hmm. so imagine as 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 best you can. I think one thing film does is it can, so, you know, for the two hours you go to the cinema, you can you can experience a different world and and see see a sort of see people's lives from their point of view. So it, it, you're not definitely not trying to make any conscious parallels with what's happening now one thing that does seem important to me is the coda of the film, if you like. You know, Shoshana starts the film believing that Jews and Arabs can live together. She's in a relationship with a British uh, policeman. She believes in in the political process. But, you know, by the end of the film, she's, you know, as as the whole sort of society is forced into two camps, she ends up fighting the the British to push the British out and then fighting the Arabs. And in a way, that central journey of, of Shoshana seemed important to me, and and that kind of sense, you know, at the end of the film, that uh, that if you achieve your goals through violence, that might you know that might seem a simple, quick way of achieving your political goals to use violence. But in a way, one wave of violence just creates the next wave, and you get into a cycle of, of, of 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 violence, you know, one cycle of violence after another, and you know, in a sense you know i th- i guess that is still what's happening now you have still got kind of wave after wave of violence which connects back to the, to the starting point
0: yeah and and in the beginning of of shoshana of, of your current film we very much get that historical context given to us it it's, it struck me as it, as the film was coming towards an end perhaps we see the seeds of the current conflict very much in in the period of history which you cover in the film
1: yeah and i think i think it's you know it's always good to like, to try and know what's going on in history. It's very hard to understand the present without understanding what's happened in the past. And as I say, it seemed to me a bit of a forgotten piece of history and one that, you know, that world, that world I think was a very exciting world. You know, Tel Aviv was a very young city, a, a new city, a cosmopolitan city, with music and energy and politics. Yeah, but it's good. It's good to try and you know to you know to, to imagine what that's like and and perhaps see in, you know in what happened then the sort of beginnings of what's happening now.
0: And do you think the current conflict will uh, affect how people view the film in any way, or the kind of responses that you've been getting to it?
1: Um, look, yes, I, I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it would. Um, you know, well, uh, we, we premiered the film in Toronto before before the kind of current current round of fighting. Mm. But then our, our UK premiere was at the London Film Festival on the 7th of October, and we had our Israeli actors. Three of our Israeli actors, I think, were with us on that day, sort of looking on their phones and and reading about what was happening in Israel, you know, prior to and just after the screening. So, you know, and obviously those, you know, as you know, that terrible violence in Israel, the terrible the ongoing violence in Gaza. I'm sure that does affect people. But I mean, it, it kind of always feels a bit weird. So about the, the you know the timing of the film's release in relation to something as terrible as what's going on now, it just feels you know, it's sort of like it, uh, it's sort of whatever you say it just feels like you're sort of weirdly trying to calculate what impact that has on your film which obviously yeah. isn't what you
0: what you want at all. Um, just on, on, on a couple of other projects, your upcoming project involves adapting Ernest Hemingway's A Farewell to Arms uh, and we're in World War I in, in the period, uh, not, you know, a not dissimilar period because the film kind of starts back then in, in some ways. Um, was there something about the period setting that, that attracted you in, in this or you know, that has fed into the adaptation of, of Hemingway's novel?
1: I say the period stuff probably puts me off. I, I I like generally like when I make a film, I like to sort of take a camera and a small crew out into the streets and work with the actors, you know, in the middle of normal life. So whenever you do a period film, you have the problem of how you get that life into your story, into your film. How you know because obviously you have to control everything. But I think what attracted me to. Uh, Farewell to Arms is, is more the kind of just the, the immediacy of the story. It's a great story. I mean, it's, it's as you say, there are some connections. There's a love story. There, there's there's the, the war aspect. Mm. I think re- recently, sort of, I don't know about in Ireland, but here recently there's been a lot of reporting of politicians basically saying, we're about to have a war. You know, Prepare yourselves. We need more soldiers. You know, Politicians from all over Europe should be saying, we're a few years away from a war. We're going to have a war. So it feels like maybe it's a good time for another anti-war film.
0: I'm certainly, more please. If 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 it can stop, if it can stop the possibility of a war, uh, we we need a lot more of that type of film. Clearly, very different prospect. I would have thought. Um, I'm thinking particularly of the trip with um, with Rob Bryden and 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 Steve Coogan. Things like Twenty Four Hour Party People. Those are a, that's a different style of filmmaking altogether, is it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I uh, yes. I mean, I, I think you know. To be honest, when you're making film, from, from my point of view, anyway, the the process of making it is 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 pretty similar. You know, you you find something you're interested in, you try and persuade people to give the money, you go out and make it. For me, I like to shoot things as simply as possible. I like improvisation, so things like Twenty Four Hour Party People and, and the trips with Steve and Rob. Obviously, they're very hmm. you, know, you know they're very relaxed. You can do, you know, they're very simple. You can do, you can have a lot of fun with them. When you do a period film, it's a little bit more complicated. But in the, in the end, you know, in the, in a way, it's still the same thing. You're trying to, there's something there's something that interests you, and you try and find you know to try and re, you try and create a world and imagine that world as as, as well as you can. And hope you can sort of in a way so you find a way of letting people sort of see a slightly different aspect of life
0: I'm going to bring you back um, 30 years and I do this with (laughs) I'm a little bit nervous about doing it to be quite honest with you Um, my production team have dug out a clip from Family Um, the great uh, four part mini series that you did the Roddy Doyle script um, with uh, Ger Ryan and Sean McGinley and in the clip we're about to hear a young and callow Sean Rocks <laughs> was there as a young doctor in the hospital and a very young Barry Ward who has gone on to amazing things obviously as John Paul was sick on the bed as, as this snotty young doctor came in and had a few words with Joe Ryan. Let's listen.
3: Mr
2: Spencer?
3: Yeah. Is Mr Spencer?
2: Couldn't find him. What happened to him? He's very lucky. You all right? You're fine, son. Good boy. What happened?
0: What happened to your son? Mrs Spencer is extremely serious. He could have died tonight.
2: He's all right, though.
4: He's 13, Mrs Spencer.
2: I know what age he is! But...
0: There you go, family, family with myself. Jerry uh, Ryan is uh, as, as the other voice we heard there. And I, I, but- I
1: was gonna, I was gonna say about family uh, that you know what the greatest thing about family was that all the actors were so brilliant and wonderful. And then working in Dublin, the great, the great joy of working in Dublin was we had so many actors. We had like a hundred different people. Yeah. And everyone
0: was great. But now that I know you're in it as well, it's a little bit embarrassing. Well, no, no. I'm embarrassed about playing the clip at all in the first place. But that series, what do you remember? I know that I remember it at the time that, you know, everybody... Not everybody was getting a part, but certainly there was great excitement about this four part miniseries that was happening and and the story that it was telling, that that shift in viewpoint from character to character. What are your memories of that time outside of the great actors to spur us both our (laughs) blushes, Michael?
1: Well, you know, it was like, I mean, um, I was working with Andrew Eaton, the producer, Uh and he knew. Roddy, he'd met Roddy before Roddy's first book was published. So Roddy had had said to him he'd write something that Andrew could produce. And so Andrew came with Roddy's scripts and they were just great scripts. You know, I mean, Roddy's a great writer. They were really simple stories. And you know, it was just—it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, there were a huge amount of characters. So the, the thing I remember most of like, just going out and looking for for the actors, meeting the actors. Obviously, obviously, Dublin has a you know then, and I'm sure it's the same now, has this sort of great pool of kind of activity. But it was also like you know, interesting to go out to the places where we're filming and and visit schools, trying to find the the children. And I remember finding Barry Ward. You mentioned Barry Ward. I remember. Yeah. I mean, Barry Wooden's school, I can't remember which school it was, but we'd sort of seen lots of people, and I think he hadn't come along to the sort of big group meetings, and then we went looking around classrooms, and, we sort of, and we, when we sort of thought Barry would be a best person, we had to really persuade him to want to act because he wanted to play football, and he didn't really want to come and act in the, in the series <laughs> in case it interrupted his football. So he really had to twist his arm to get him to do it, but he was great.
0: Yeah, and he's, he's done okay for himself since that. One other, actually, if I can go back to Shoshana on that very point, there's a wonderful scene or set of scenes late on in the film with uh, Stephen O'Leary, who is a, an actor who worked on uh, Fair City here in 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 RTE. He plays this character of Boyle, a, an Irish man who's part of the British police force. There, he has a very interesting little. He um, he he brings a, a lot to the story in terms of how he how he gets involved in it, collaboration, informants, all of those things are and and. Uh, how you tell the story uh propaganda are very important in Shoshana, michael
1: yeah and, and he was he was great he, he that is a, a sort of true char- a real character he's playing i think what 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 is i hope is kind of implied in the film but probably not absolutely clear is that mm. there a lot of the jewish um people who supported the jewish underground kind of saw, saw the similarities between them and the and the sort of irish independence movement and so when the there was a policeman who was Irish Boyle, I think his name was Boyle. I don't think we invented the boy. Yes, name. yeah,
0: Liam Boyle basically, is the name the character of the character.
1: Yeah, but basically he, he got their trust because he was Irish, so they thought he was somehow supportive of, of their cause because he was Irish, and that was how he was able to for them for them to trust me enough to find the for him to get the uh, the, the address that they were mm. looking for. And, uh, and 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 Stern. So so he 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 for good or bad he he, he used his Irishness to uh, to, to get the, to get the information they needed to
0: achieve what he had to achieve uh, on the yeah. day. Michael, lovely to speak with you again. Thanks for being with us on Arena this evening. Uh, nice, nice, nice to
1: talk to you again. Thank you,
0: Michael Winterbottom. There and Shoshana. The film he was talking about will be in cinemas from this Friday. Now, if you want to watch us online, remember you can do so on the live stream, which is rtu.ie forward slash arena as we move to our TV reviews and previews. Now, Mad Men writer Victor Levin's new romantic drama, Alice and Jack, starts on Channel 4 tonight, just in time for Valentine's Day. The star cast includes Donald Gleeson, central character of Jack, Andrea Riceborough as Alice. And the series follows the two imperfect lovers, over the course of 15 years as they're drawn together and fall apart over and over through the highs and lows of their relationships. And also involved in the mix is Ashleen B. Next up, the new look on Apple TV. Sumptuous retelling of the rivalry between French designers Christian Dior, uh, played by Ben Mendelsohn, and Coco Chanel, played by Juliette Binoche. The series is set against the backdrop of Nazi-occupied Paris, where everyone, including the celebrated designers, are forced to compromise When does compromise become collaboration? Designing clothes for the wives of the Third Reich or agreeing to open communication channels for the Nazis with Britain? And we'll be previewing Michael Sheen's new BBC series, The Way. This drama is set to follow the Driscolls, a seemingly ordinary family who find themselves part of a story of life, death and survival. After finding themselves caught up in the fallout of civil unrest, the family is forced to flee their own home and Country, I'm joined in studio this evening by Jen Gannon and Chris Wasser. And we'll start with Alice and Jack on Channel 4. Um, when, when you see... <laughs> I mean, it really is. It, it, is it, it has the the smell of a romantic comedy mm-hmm. off it and it's launching on Valentine's Night. Are they misleading us, Jen?
2: I think so. You'd be forgiven for thinking that this was some kind of new knockabout rom-com because you've got that cast, Donald Gleason, you've got you know the brilliant Ashlyn B. But if you are expecting something easy breezy, you know, a laugh a minute kind of show uh, for Valentine's Day, this is not it. Now it, we were saying it's penned by uh, Victor Levin who did write for Mad Men but he we also wrote this very acerbic rom-com called Destination Wedding which starred Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves and it was extremely detached um, so if you've seen that you probably yeah. will be more prepared with the tone of Alice and Jack I think
0: Right well let's have a listen to a clip this is the moment that Alice and Jack meet I think it's probably about two minutes into the, into the series in fact and here they are on their first date together Donald Gleason as Jack Andrea Riceborough as Alice
3: Alice
1: Jack? (laughs) Yes.
3: Hi.
4: (laughs) Well, your picture didn't lie. Yours is an understatement. Well, that's on purpose. What will you have to drink? Macallan. So who are you, Jack? Who am I? Are you nervous? A little. Aren't you? Why don't I concretise the question? What do you do? Thank you. I am a biomedical researcher. What do you research? right now hashimoto's disease why why
1: do you have hashimoto's disease no does anyone you know have hashimoto's disease no then why for the glory of perhaps one day curing hashimoto's disease
4: not for the glory no uh, curing it will help people
1: but it won't help you
4: not directly no But or anyone you know no but so you're a crusader i
0: wouldn't say that
2: you should because it's really adorable
0: there you go. Andrea Riceborough and Donald Gleeson there. And what you could, that sounds like a cute meet to me.
4: Um, it does. Yeah. Uh, Jen, I'm going to call you. <laughs> Jack, your name is Chris, Chris. actually. <laughs> we got Chris there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does sound like a meet cute, um, but that's probably the cheeriest it gets. Uh, aside from certain uh, Patel playing uh, Jack's mate, uh, Paul, who provides oh, yeah. some much-needed yeah, yeah. comic relief here, because we do get... It does get a little depressing I mean we were talking About One Day last week Which is another show About you know I suppose you could call Star-crossed lovers yeah. Bumping into one another In the UK across You know a span of 20 mm. years In this case Across the six episodes We're actually with Alice and Jack For around 15 yeah, years But it does jump around It in does time. jump around Quite a bit I think in the first yeah. episode We start off in one place We go two years back We go three months back We go Or three months yeah. back A year and a half forward um, Just the, the thing That becomes annoying After a while Is that these characters It's a difficult show to love Because the characters Are difficult to love And the more time time we spend with them. Can you
0: not, how could
4: you not love Donald Gleeson? <laughs> at, at he is very good at playing these sort of characters, at playing these socially awkward characters who just kind of go along with everything. And, you know, he kind of suffers the abuse there that he, or he endures the abuse there that, that, that he's getting from Alice at the beginning of the relationship. But it's not much of a relationship. They meet once, then again, for a second time four months after that and then they don't come into one another's mm-hmm. lives for another year and a half, at which point one of them, I won't say too much, yeah. has moved on. And the other one then arrives to just hurl a grenade at their lives to make themselves feel better because they're not in a good spot, and one of them then just destroys everything to be with the other, and it just gets to a stage where it's like you guys aren't really good yeah. for one another, and that becomes a little hard to watch over okay, over hours as well because these yeah. are you know hour long episodes. Right. So that's so it's a lot to ask basically to spend time with people who aren't very likable. Now you've all you've both watched the entire series, yeah. whereas I'm, I'm
0: on episode one and I have to admit a little bit hooked at this point in time. they are
2: charmed uh, by Donald Gleeson. <laughs> <laughs> I do that to you.
0: But he was. <laughs> He is so charming I on screen. He- and equally charming on screen, it has to be said, is Ashley yeah. B, yes. who, uh, who's part of this kind of story of who's involved mm. with who we don't want to give I know they probably said a lot on the Late Late Show about it <laughs> but people give out when you spoil things on them
2: She's so, very strong I have to say mm. Ashton B is very strong in this and I think that's the acting talent really tries to sell the story but more so it really tries to ground it into some kind of reality and I mm. think you know Donald Greason is great he's very this mixed up romantic he's searching for something that fulfils him more than his job and I think look Andrea Risberg is one of the actresses of her generation she is She's the most un-
0: that's the most unlikable character She is, is but
2: she achieves this el- it goes on, she achieves this level of humanity and complexity within Alice, the mm-hmm. character that a less accomplished actor would severely struggle with because there, there is moments of greatness in this. And I have to say, I think episode five is deeply moving. It has these great ruminations on what it is to love, what it is to be loved, you know, loved. And it, it plays yeah. to this very heightened level. That is the problem. And that can be very wearing because it's a lot of melodrama. It's the dramatics instead of I find more interest in the small moments and okay. with it, someone like Ashley B, she's involved in the more smaller moments and I wished they were zoomed in on more than the, the theatrics big, of Alison Jack throughout. All right,
0: um, would you say it's worth sticking with it for the acting alone and the charm of Donald Gleeson and Ashley B and Andrea Riseborough?
2: I mean, I think it is an interest in watching that way because I think what Levin was trying to achieve was a love story that encompasses the big mm-hmm. questions about morality, selfishness, altruism. Them, like does love make you a better person is basically what this show is asking. But does it achieve it? I don't know. There's there's All right. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with downsizing the dramatics and something like this. And I think if they had done that, it would have been much better. But I think yeah, Stars. watch it for the acting. Definitely. Watch it for the acting. Definitely. So I'd, I'd give it, you know, three out of five for those three actors. Each
4: of <laughs> <laughs> the actors getting a star overall, and start from you briefly. Chris. Yeah, I think we might have been sold a lie because it's supposed to be a show about love, but really it's supposed to be—it's really a show about people who shouldn't be together. I think riceberg is excellent, Gleason is very good, Ashton B is so good in this that I just wish someone would commission season three of This Way Up. Yes. Um, but it's so it's a long, laborious show, and I will finish it. I just don't know when because I'm not in the rush to. So three stars. All
0: right, three from you as well. Let's move on then to the new look, which is an. Apple TV sumptuous retelling of the rivalry between Christian Dior and Coco Chanel against the backdrop of Nazi-occupied Paris. And um, we we have been here in a, in a, in a film quite recently as well, haven't we? Yeah. In mean, this Nazi-occupied Paris and Dior.
2: People love to tell these stories because they're so fascinating to have these titans of the fashion world like Kristen Jor, who, who changed fashion forever right. for women, and Coco Chanel, who did the same. I mean, you know, the thing about the two of them is their backstories at this very moment in time. You could write, you know, a hundred films about them and it, it still probably wouldn't be enough. And this it is a 10 part. It's very lavish. It's very intense. It's very drilled into series is trying to do that. and It's trying to right. show both... Their dual the dual aspects of the way that they dealt with the the, the Second World War uh, in their own lives and how they differed their their whole mindsets differed about the it The
4: cast is extraordinary here Chris It is extraordinary Ben Mendelsohn Juliette Binoche Claes Ben Mendelsohn Bang. as Dior and Binoche as Yes, is, is, is and, there Coke, Coke, and there are others
0: John. in there as well Malkovich John
4: Malkovich John Malkovich is in there yes as, as, as another designer who was an accomplice of uh, of Dior in the 1940s uh, it's an extraordinary cast uh, lovely uh, some lovely people behind the scenes Todd A. Kessler uh, who worked on The Sopranos and uh, superstar producer of the minute, you know, uh, Taylor Swift's best pal, Jack Antonoff is also in there, you know, overseeing the soundtrack. So there are some very talented people. I think there's, there's an awful lot going on here. I mean, it's it's supposed to be set during the war, but it actually starts in the 1950s at this uh, uh, retrospective of Dior's work. And Coco Chanel, we're in Paris. Coco Chanel is in Paris. She's 70 at this point. Reporters are quizzing her. Why are you here? She says it's to launch her new collection. They tell her that Dior is up the road. Actually, at his retrospective, she says, you know, he's not what he used to be. He's an nervous wreck. And we see that he's clearly beating himself up Mm. over his behavior in the war and the rest of the next few episodes then show us that he felt quite guilty about his involvement because he was in paris at the time and in order to just stay alive during what he calls the darkest days of his life life he had to collaborate he had to design dresses for nazi wives and girlfriends and we can see that because you know and he he, that it wasn't just him that wasn't happy about that his sister was a french resistance fighter
0: Let's have a listen uh, to his sister here, Catherine Dior, played by Maisie Williams, and she's telling Christian uh, Dior, Dior, Ben Mendelsohn, to relax. She has brought someone into their apartment. You can be too concerned, overly, pointlessly concerned and fussy, and all it does is cause you to worry more.
1: No, 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 I'm sorry, no. I'm happy to harbor you. But the resistance ambushes the Nazis in this
0: neighbourhood and then you bring this stranger into this apartment.
1: That is foolish.
2: Did Monsieur Long make payroll this week? We need to talk in private. Another time, no,
1: perhaps. No, I know this is stressful for you, Christian, but it's necessary. Please don't worry about me, All right.
4: Where did so much money come from?
1: The Nazis have allowed Le Long to sell dresses to Spain and uh, South America. Also, there's some affair coming up. There's more work. What are you making? Ballgowns. The only people throwing parties around are, are the Nazis and you are making ball gowns. You are the fool.
0: There we go. Ben Mendelssohn uh, as as Christian Dior and Maisie Williams as Catherine Dior in that scene from The New Look. I was I was talking as we were listening to that clip. How how clear is it? Does it come down uh, and say yes they did or they didn't collaborate? And they should be, this should be exposed. Does it tell the story straight? It
2: doesn't really, because I think they have to tread very carefully here because it is made with full access to Dior and to the Dior archives. So you're going to get a lighter aspect to the Dior story as in it looks as though he's you know taking the money that he's made Whitley Long um, who's working as you said like designing yeah. clothes for the Nazi wives and girlfriends and funding his beloved younger sister Catherine's work with the resistance but that you know 100% wasn't the entire story really and it's a very checkered history of the fashion in- industry around that time I mean it wasn't you also have Coco Chanel which I think everybody knows at this point her is a, it's a very dark history with Chanel and I do think that that they don't actually stress that enough about Coco right. Chanel's actual opinions, I, and uh, because you have to be very careful because she is a French icon.
0: Ten parter is it worth sticking with?
2: I think there's a lot going on. It's overly intricate in its plotting, and sometimes it can be so stuffed with so much information, it's hard yeah. to actually get to grips with. Stars and Stars I would give it you know three I would give it three what are you saying, Chris? I think
4: it's bloated focused. there's a lot there's too much going on in there I'm not too sure about Mendelson's casting and I say that as a big admirer of his work but I think this one should have been a film Also um,
2: if yeah. you have international actors let them speak the language they were yes. born to speak why is Julien Benache speaking in English with a French accent you know, yeah, Let a, her speak French Exactly us, it's not a low, a low a yeah.
0: low like, <laughs> Alright okay uh, is that three and two did we say I'd say I'd go with Two and a half. And a half yeah. okay and let's move on now this is a preview rather than a review for the BBC drama The Way actor Michael Sheen quit Hollywood some time ago to give uh, of his time, his money, and his creativity to his beloved Wales and his beloved town, hometown of Port Talbot, uh, he bankrolled the Homeless World Cup in Cardiff in 2019, and now this the Way project seems to be part of the same same type of thing. Chris, what is the basic setup here? It has a it, it, it felt to me a bit like Paul Lynch's Booker Prize winning novel, uh, Profit
4: Song. It has a touch of that kind of dystopian future in it. Yeah, I'm sure Mr Lynch will be watching this thinking, oh, someone's already adapted my novel without adapting it. Um, He's been working on this project, Michael Sheen that is, with James Graham and Adam Curtis for 10 years and I think it was only after the pandemic Mm. that they realised that they could take the story to places that maybe before audiences would have been like, well, that's a little bit ridiculous. Uh, But it's set in the uh, Welsh town of Port Talbot, which is uh, one of the busiest uh, uh, steelworks uh, 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 towns in in, in the world. Um, And it follows this family, the Driscolls, Well, actually, it follows a a strike in the steelworks that then just spirals out of control because you've got, like, far-right protesters, you've got sinister kind of underground syndicates who kind of come in on this strike and just disaster unfolds. It's a civil uprising happens in this town, Port Talbot. And at the center of it, you have uh, a, a, a dad, uh, one of the Driscoll family who works in the steelworks. Uh, you have his wife, who he's separated from, who becomes the the, the voice of the people. Yeah. A son who is having his own troubles, who was actually only recently arrested by his sister, who's a, who's a guard, or who's a cop. And then you also have uh, visions of uh, of the dad's late father, Des, played by Michael Sheen, okay. who kind of comes to him in Visions right, and Dreams. Yeah.
0: And a phenomenal cast. I mean, Michael Sheen direct, r- mm. directing, but also the cast that he has around him. Well, Callum Scott
2: Howells, who we saw in It's a Scene. He's it's, the it's, son. It's the son, Owen, and he's done it. And Stephen Roderick is in it, Luke Evans. But I also think it's just it's really chilling like the themes mm. around you know the disruption and, and the selling off of the integral you know part of Port Talbot what makes it and you know it echoes what's happening with you know Tata Steelworks and, and he wrote this before the closure of the Steelworks which I find incredible But it has, and
0: the other thing is it keeps harking back to the miners' strike it and does. drawing parallels it really
2: is about the personal and the political history of a place where myth and tradition combine and like how all those tendrils can potentially strangle the future mm. of a, a place but it also has this very wide streak of black humour as well, which you do expect from James Graham. If you've seen Sherwood, you know that's the way right. he works. It's constructed almost in a dream-like fashion as well. I have to mm. say, like the, 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 it's stunning. Like it, we've only from, seen
0: one episode, you're dying to see the rest of it. Uh,
2: it. It harkens back to everything from Utopia to The Wicker Man to The Third Day. I think it's so inventive, uh, brilliantly done, and I cannot can't, wait, we, to, see wait to see
4: more. Can't wait to see in the same boat, Chris. Yeah, I love the way that it almost plays out like a horror film at times. There's elements of Stephen King's The Stand mm. in there, without yeah. the pandemic, but obviously. But uh, right. wonderful performance. I'm oh. really looking forward to the second and third episode. It's
2: nice. like Jimmy. McGovern on mushrooms.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That'll do, I would think. Uh, Thank you very much to uh, Chris Wasser and Jen Gannon there and the three series that we were speaking about. First episode of the six-part series, Alice and Jack, out tonight, 9pm on Channel 4. First three episodes of The New Look are currently available on Apple TV+. And The Way will be out on BBC from Monday next, February 19th. Now, in case you hadn't noticed, it is Valentine's Day. We thought we'd oblige you with some romance by way of the movies. The rom-com, of course, has been an important part of cinema almost as long as audiences have been frequenting the picture palaces. Here are some of the more memorable moments.
4: Uh, I really feel, um, uh,
3: in short, uh, to recap in a slightly clearer version, uh, in the words of David Cassidy, in fact, um, while he was still with the Partridge family, uh, I think
4: I love you. But love don't make things nice. It ruins everything. It breaks your heart. It makes things a mess. We, we aren't here to make things perfect.
1: But the thing is, um, what I'm trying to say very inarticulately is that, um, in fact, perhaps despite appearances. Shut up.
4: Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. And don't forget,
1: I'm also just a girl, standing in front of a boy asking him to love her.
4: Well, nobody's perfect.
0: Yeah, oh, that's to be Valentine's Day. All sorts: <laughs> Moon River, the theme song from Breakfast at Tiffany's. You all also heard Hugh Grant and Andy McDowell in and Four Weddings and a Furial, Nicholas Cage and Sharon Moonstruck, Colin Firth and Rennie Zellweger in Bridget Jones' Diary. Zeg- Zellweger again, and Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant in Notting Hill, and finally Joey Brown at the end of Some Like It Hot telling us all we all have a chance eventually nobody's perfect with me in studio to talk about the nature of the perfect romantic comedy I presume that's what you're going to tell me about Stephen Benedict um,
3: uh, did were, were you in high romantic mood when you were going through to find your favourite rom-coms you know, well, I've known for a long time what my favourite rom-com is but we'll come to that mm-hmm. later but the thing that looking at all these rom-coms it, it struck me how long ago the template for the rom-com was actually set and you ask people and they say, some people say Oscar Wilde or they say mm. Jane Austen yeah, or Shakespeare. Yeah. You can trace it all the way back to ancient Greece, to Menander in the year 300 BC. We, I thought
0: in Greek theatre we were talking about tra- the odd comedy, fair enough, yeah. but tragedy for the most oh, part. Oh yeah,
3: a- Aeschylus and Euripides and mm. Sophocles. No, Menander wrote a play called The Girl from Samos. And it Which cent- sounds like a modern day rom-com. It? Yeah, um, it's actually, the subtitle is The Marriage Connection. It's also known as The Marriage Connection, but it centres around wealthy men their mistresses and children born out of wedlock. And those complications sound very serious, but they're all resolved happily by hastily re- arranged marriages and adoptions. Mm. And the thing is that Menander, whether he knew it or not, was actually delineating what the rom-com is all about and for me it's about the bringing together of people it's about unity it's about social harmony which is the reason why the rom-com so often ends in marriage and we've it, it set the template so strongly we've been enjoying variations of it ever since
0: Yeah well that, that's what I've because like you think about it boy meets girl hmm. boy and girl boy, boy and girl boy fall meets out boy. Boy, <laughs> or boy meets boy or girl yeah. meets girl they yeah. fall out yeah. whatever happens you know yeah. eventually they get back together yeah. and that's why it's a comedy it ends yes. happily but
3: the variations are what you're interested in Yeah there's, there's uh, different different ones and I, I'm i not saying there's only four but I'll just mention four distinct types the first one I call is trickery and that involves that centres around characters who are pretended to be other people and it involves you can list Shakespeare's Twelfth Night or yes. Serena de Bergerac some like a hot Tootsie you can see what I'm trying to say here yes yeah they're all pretending to be somebody else yeah and the reason this is Doubtfire I suppose yeah, yeah. and another and the reason for that is because it reflects what some of us do in the early courtship in our own lives some of us feel insecure and unworthy of the person we're attracted to, so we Big pretend. Big confession to, to make on radio, Stephen. <laughs> well, it depends which one of my therapists you talk to. <laughs> yeah. All right. But the thing is that eventually they have to come clean, reveal, the, drop the mask. And it is by doing that that the the rom-com is expressing that uh, true love resolves around honesty and trust. That's Um, really what. So you have to,
0: yeah. The truth will always out. And and I suppose Wedding Crashers is an example of that, where the the Owen Wilson character he has been pretending to be. They crash a wedding. They're always pretending to be somebody's uncle, somebody's cousin, somebody's best friend, so that they can be at the wedding. Exactly. Um, But however, he he meets his nemesis in Rachel McAdams because he, he falls in love and then he has to decide to tell her the truth and she has to decide whether to accept his apology
4: for longer than I care to remember my business has been crashing weddings I crashed weddings to meet girls business was good I met a lot of girls and it was childish it was juvenile empathetic yeah that's probably the best word to describe it but you know what it also led me to you so it's hard for me to completely regret it. And that person that you met back at your folks' place, that was really me. Maybe not my name. I'm John Beckwith, by the way. Or my job. But the feelings we felt, the jokes, the stupid laughs, that was all me.
0: There you go. I, I think she's probably going to accept his apology. <laughs> yeah. Funny feeling or it won't be yeah. a romantic comedy. Um, so you've, you've kind of laid out the stall there, but there are lots of other scenarios here which are yeah. slight variations yeah. even on those variations. Yeah, the,
3: the, the antidote to trickery is magic because the magic um, what I, it would involve Midsummer Night's Dream for example yeah. or films, a, a terrific film like Groundhog Day or Enchanted and I think this is, this goes into the fantasy realm and in actual fact you could rename, rename this category Romanticy um, because the scenarios are all about the idea of that love is an altering experience. We feel giddy, we do things that we do and act on impulse, we act out of character. And it's almost like a crush or a magic potion Mm. or a magic spell, and that wears off. And the point here in these scenarios is for us to recognise the difference between temporary infatuation and love eternal. So the magic has to... Cast a spell on us, and then it has to be broken, and we've got to step outside of the spell to recognize who we actually love. So, disguise, trickery, magic is there a f- Trickery, magic so far. The next one is rebellion. All right. Okay, rebellion. And this one it, it defies social convention. What I call it's Romeo and Juliet with laughter. It's not a tragic ending because if you think about Romeo and Juliet defied the family convention, mm. the, the, the wars between the Montagues and the Capulets. And if you look at films, you look, you look at um, Ian Forster's novel A Room with a View, for example, or um, Roman Holiday. Uh, Spike Lee's movie She's Gotta Have It and um, that encourages us to recognise the need to to shake off social conventions and to to step aside or away from the biases that we may have inherited or learned from our parents or family or cultures or, or, or customs and to recognise that true love lies within the other stuff is superficial that you're dating one person not their family. And heaven forbid, you're not dating their parents.
0: (laughs) Right, Okay. So you've given us three of the four, and you've saved the fourth category to last. And I'm guessing the fourth category is probably going to be your favourite film, isn't it? Well, it it?
3: involves it, yeah. Since we started in ancient Greece, we go back because the fourth one, I think, is called The Marathon. And th- this is where the characters have to learn all about themselves, not necessarily the other person. They've got to go through, they've got to unwind their neurosis. So you've got Shakespeare's play Much Ado About Nothing. You've got Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice and my favourite rom-com of all time, which is When Harry Met Sally. Because they spent about 12 years not courting each other, figuring out who they are before they can finally, finally... Give in to each other exactly. on New Year's Eve. What a night to give in to <laughs> each other. Um, all right, let us listen
0: to a clip. Uh, Billy... Qu- Billy Crystal explaining his theory on relationships between men and women to Meg Ryan. Well, you'd be amazed what falling madly in love can do for you.
4: Well, it's wonderful. It's nice to see you embracing life in this manner.
0: Yeah, plus, you know, you just get to a certain point where you get tired of the whole thing.
4: What whole thing?
0: The whole life of a single guy thing. You meet someone, you have the safe lunch, you decide you like each other enough to move on to dinner. You go dancing, you do the white man's overbite. Go back to her place, you have sex, and the minute you're finished, you know what goes through your mind? How long do I have to lie here and hold it before I can get up and go home? Is 30
2: seconds enough?
1: That's what you're thinking? Is that true? Sure.
0: All men think that. <laughs> That's Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan in When Harry Met Sally. I, I would probably be in total agreement with you I'm on crazy. it being one of the best romantic rom- right. rom-coms of, of all time. Is it, is it Nora Ephron? Is it Meg Ryan? Is it Billy Crystal? Is it all of the above? And
3: it's, it's Rob Reiner as yeah, well. It's I a combination directed, of, yeah. of all four. And then the beautiful music that you have Harry Connick playing the great American songbook on the soundtrack. But there's one other thing that I want to just mention is the chase that happens at the end of When Harry Met Sally, when, when Harry races across Manhattan. It's amazing. As the bells are ringing, you have
0: to get there before midnight.
3: Before and midnight. And that's, you know, it's a metaphor again for love sets the heart racing, but it's also the, the, the ticking clock that if you don't recognise the person you should be with standing right in front of you they may leave so you've got to decide now but the amount of rom-coms shown that end with the chase you've got Notting Hill where Hugh Grant races across London the apartment ends with Shirley MacLaine racing across Manhattan to Jack Lemmon you've got The Graduate where he races halfway down California coastline and it's also the, the great thing about the great rom-coms is variations. They have trickery with rebellion or magic with the marathon. And if quickly, just to go back to Notting Hill, Notting Hill is a very, very gentle, for me, it's a very, very gentle reworking of Roman Holiday. Because instead of the princess played by Audrey Hepburn, you've got the movie star played by Julia Roberts. And instead of the lowly journalist played by mm-hmm. Gregory Peck, you've got Hugh Grant working back. this near, nearly insolvent Bookstore. So it's, look at it. it's,
0: it's 30 seconds to eight o'clock. Who knows where you have to race <laughs> to, uh, uh, to complete tonight's rom com in your life? And to everybody at home who may be racing to their beloved man or woman, wherever you're going, I hope you enjoy it when you get there. And um, that is our lot for this very evening. And somewhere in front of me, I have a list of people who were involved in tonight's show, which I probably won't be able to find. James Feeney was on sound. Mar- um, 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 Ollie Hamilton no, Ollie Hamilton is out again tonight was, uh, was our broadcast coordinator Niall Fitzmaurice was the researcher and tonight's programme was produced by Reg Luby. Talk to you tomorrow night once again 7 o'clock here on RT Radio 1 John Crean will be with you after the news